Ready or not, here I come, you hear your friend say in the distance. It's been a long night of fun and games. You've had the time of your life enjoying a sleepover with your best friend, and now you've got the best hiding place. But maybe not. A cold hand rests on your shoulder. You've been found already. With a smile, you prepare to run away deeper into the woods, defying the rules of the game. But when you stand up, you can see your friend, and he's still searching for you. The nails from the strange hand behind you start to dig into your skin. Enjoy these allegedly true and scary sleepover stories with relaxing nighttime ambience. One, Creepy Best Friend by Benjamin Etchesketch. It was 2011. I was in my second year of middle school. For a little background, back then I was part of the emo crowd, something I now look back on in embarrassment. The person who got me into that scene was a girl named Blondie. Blondie was my best friend at the time. We had sleepovers often. We explored the woods and listened to music. I was so caught up in having a best friend for once that I didn't notice everything that was wrong with her. Maybe if I had, it would have saved me from a lot of problems. The first notable instance I can remember of her being bad news is when we were at school eating lunch. She had a safety pin. She was talking about how we had to mark ourselves with the symbol of the proxy. At the time, we were pretty into scary stuff and creepypasta, so being an easily manipulated teenager, I went along with it, and we decided to cut the symbol of the proxy, a circle with an X in the middle, onto our skin. She put hers on her ankle, and she carved one into my hand. I still have a faint scar when I tan, but otherwise, it's no longer visible. But when I do see it, it makes me sick to look at. On another occasion, when she was staying over at my place, we were playing in the wooded part of my trailer park. Like I mentioned before, we were really into creepypasta at the time, so we tended to live-action roleplay the characters. So to be in character, Blondie decided to take my hunting knife with her as we walked around. We met up with a few other kids who lived in the park. We started playing around, roughhousing like kids do. After a while of sword fighting with sticks, Blondie had the idea to use something else. She took my hunting knife and held it to one of the other kid's faces. She began to threaten him, like the character she was portraying. I, being a naive kid, laughed and acted out the scene too, mocking him. But seeing the blade at his face, the kid was terrified. I can remember his face clear as day, looking back on it now. He quickly left on his bike with a scratch on his cheek, and we said nothing about it afterwards. Next time something happened that now seems horrifying is another time we had a sleepover. We were watching movies, movies we honestly probably shouldn't have been watching at that age. Eventually, I drifted off to sleep, but I woke up in the middle of the night, and she was violating me, hands on my throat, knife at my face. 
To say the least, I was shocked, but I wasn't angry. How could I be mad at my best friend? At that point in my life, she had me wrapped around her finger so tightly, she could probably ask me to jump off a bridge, and I would listen and still love her. So when I tried to speak up as she was doing that, she told me to hush, and if I told anyone, she would cut me like she did Lee. I was too freaked out and scared to say anything at that point. Maybe I didn't want her to get in trouble either, so I didn't want to say anything. I just tried my best to close my eyes and ignore it, pretending I was asleep. When both my grandfather and my baby sister passed away, she began to mock me for it. That's when I finally decided to cut ties with her. That had been all I could handle. It's been seven years and I'm now in high school. Sometimes I see her around, but she never acknowledges me. I know she recognizes me. She tries to befriend my girlfriend on occasion, and even once flirted with her in front of me, probably just to spite me. It threw me into another downward spiral, and eventually led to me telling my therapist. That therapist and I went to the police to get all that she's done down on paper, but ultimately, I decided not to press charges. It'd be more trouble than it's worth, if someone you're supposedly friends with does bad things to other people and you, you might want to rethink who your friends are and report anything terrible to the authorities before it's too late. Two, my room isn't safe by Savannah. I'm 14 years old. My parents are divorced and my mother lives in Louisiana. My father is in Mississippi. My mother's house doesn't have anything wrong with it. It's my dad's, which is odd as it's brand new. But that doesn't seem to stop whatever the heck is in my room. This all started when I was 12 years old. My friends, Beth and Jane, were sleeping over at my place. It was two in the morning when Jane and Beth were sleeping I was still up, trying to fall asleep, and as I was finally about to, I saw what appeared to be a woman standing at the foot of my bed. She was tall and lanky. Her arms were very long and bony, hanging loosely at her sides. Her hair was jet black and stringy, looking like the way hair looks when you get out of the shower. She started to saunter over to me, and I immediately panicked. I shut my eyes, but when I looked again, she was gone. I didn't mention anything to Beth or Jane in case they were going to laugh at me, and I knew they would just try to disprove me. After that, nothing really happened until yet another sleepover I had with Beth. It was around midnight. We had fallen asleep early as it was our last day of exams, and we were beyond exhausted. I'm a light sleeper, so when I felt Beth shift and get up, I opened my eyes. Beth, where are you going? There was no response. After that, I assumed she was sleepwalking, which was something she did quite often. She walked through the open door to my room, all the way to the front door in the den, where she proceeded to try and open that door. 
I tapped on her shoulder. Beth, what are you doing? She continued to try to open the door. Then she spoke to me. I'm going to the lake. There was a lake near our house. I was genuinely confused as to why her tired brain would decide to go there. Why? What she said next gave me chills. Her head turned in my direction, and she whispered to me, Because she told me to. I was reminded of the woman I saw, and vaguely remembered her hair being wet when I looked at her. I couldn't help but connect that to the lake. I was shaken pretty hard, and I managed to tell her we were going back to bed and that she was not leaving our house. That was the end of it. She seemed to listen, and we went back to bed. I haven't seen the lady recently, but I kind of feel her presence. It's more welcoming than the previous encounters, but I don't trust her. Now there's a new presence around me, a much more evil feeling. Once I was getting up to go to the bathroom to brush my teeth and to go back to bed, when I looked in the bathroom mirror, I saw a dark figure standing in the corner, and as I saw it, I felt this immediate feeling of dread. I did my best to ignore it. After a while of me wanting to shrivel up, the feeling went away. I barely managed to fall asleep that night. After this, I tend to see something looming in the dark corners of the house, and I feel a very bad vibe, like something wants to hurt me. I don't know what to do, and I'm wondering if it'd be stupid to seek out and get some holy water. 3. The Creature with Red Eyes by Haley I stay with my dad over the summers. At his place, both in front and behind his house, there are woods, but to the sides is more neighborhood. It was my first night there, and I was staying in my sister's room, since I don't have one. She started telling me a story of what happened to her and her friend. It happened during a sleepover. She had one of her friends over, and they were staying in her room. They were still up late at night. I'm not sure if they were just talking or watching TV. But at one point in the night, they heard something from the window. From just outside, anyway. When they looked over and opened the curtains, they saw red eyes. The pair of red eyes then sprinted away, and the two girls, brave rather than scared, were curious as to what they came from. They went outside and over to that window to see if they could find anything, but all they found were flowers outside the window, like someone had picked some flowers and set them there in a sort of makeshift bouquet. It was odd, to say the least. The remainder of their sleepover wasn't eventful. The story really scared me as I was about 10 years old back then, so I stopped sleeping in her room whenever I came over and instead I would sleep on the couch, but this didn't help at all. On about the fifth day one year when I was over, I was going to sleep at 3 a.m. I usually tried to wait for my dad to get off work. 
I suddenly heard a faint noise at the glass door. It was just inches from me. Being curious, a ditzy kid like myself, I went to check it out and saw nothing. I spent another solid five minutes looking before something came into view. It seemed to be a faint glow coming from the woods, a red glow, like eyes piercing through the darkness. I couldn't move. I didn't want to move. I was too scared. After a long while of staring at it, they moved and disappeared. It didn't end there, though. Back in the day, I used to go outside and walk around all day. And one evening, when I was over at my dad's, I was doing just that. I was almost home when it started to get dark. I heard a rustling of bushes and turned to look at the woods to my right. I nearly screamed when I saw those red eyes again. What was worse was that I saw what they were attached to. It looked like a person, but it was too tall, too slim. Again, we stared at each other. I would have stared at it forever, being so scared, if it hadn't started walking towards me. I ran. I ran a short distance to my house in record time, but said nothing about what had happened. Whatever it is began to scratch at the windows almost every night, and I hear an odd wind outside, but it has an undertone to it, like it's a hum from a person's voice. These days, I don't go over to my dad's place as often. I feel bad, but I never want to see those eyes again. Four, My Best Friend's Father by Samantha Up until I was 11, I had a best friend like most kids do. Her name was Julia. She was in the same class as I was in school and lived only a few houses away from me. I'd met her around grade one and we'd been inseparable since we met. We had the same interests and being young girls, we both developed as we grew up. I had my first sleepover with her when we were roughly around nine years old. Her mother had met my parents. We had playdates with each other at one another's houses, but it was our first sleepover together, which was like a whole new experience. Nothing exciting ever happened other than me meeting her father for the first time. He was tall, had sandy blonde hair, and wore glasses. Overall, he was a very nice man, Back then, he didn't seem weird, and I didn't get any vibes from him. Looking back, I remember some weird things now. He would always disappear from the room once we came in. Whenever he did stay, it was only for a few minutes before he started fidgeting and shifting. After that first sleepover, myself as well as a few other of our mutual friends were all invited for another bigger sleepover. There were around four of us girls, all in the friend's basement. Her room was too small for all of us. I remember at one point during the night, one of the girls had to go to the bathroom. It was fairly early, around seven or eight o'clock. Julia directed her to her bathroom, just a small room up the stairs and down the hallway. She left, and we continued talking until she came back. 
We saw that she was kind of shaky and pale, and she had a weird expression on her face. She approached Julia and tapped her shoulder. The girl asked Julia if she could call her mother to come pick her up. We were all disappointed and urged her to stay, but she declined profusely and was on the verge of tears. Julia's mother called the girl's mother, who picked her up around ten minutes later. We all stood on the porch saying goodbye to her. Julia's mother apologized about the girl not wanting to stay and suggested that maybe she could visit when she was feeling better. Eventually, Julia's father came to say goodbye too. He stood behind Julia, his hands on her shoulders. I didn't notice at the time, but thinking back to it now, Julia seemed very uncomfortable around him as well. He was smiling at the girl who was going home, who dipped her head anxiously the moment Julia's father showed up. After the girl was gone, we continued our sleepover as normal before morning came and we all went home. Around a week later, while on the weekend, my mother approached me. She told me that I was no longer allowed to go to Julia's anymore. She said I couldn't have sleepovers, playdates, or anything. When I asked her why, she said, her parents got into a fight. As a child, I thought their fight would end soon, like how Julia and I would argue, before getting over it, of course, in less than a day. I kept my hopes up and continued asking my mother, day after day, if I could go back there. She said no every time. Of course, I could still speak to Julia at school. One day, she got sick at school, and I volunteered to go to the office with her. When we got there, the lady at the desk said, I'll call your father to come pick you up. Julia seemed to panic at her words, and before the lady had a chance to pick up the phone, Julia told her, Please, no, call my mom, please, not my dad. Now that I'm an adult, I realize how big of a red flag that was. I don't know what was wrong with the woman at the desk. She didn't seem to see it as a red flag, but thankfully she went ahead and called Julia's mother. I stayed with Julia until her mother showed up. Julia and I had very close birthdays, mine on March 15th and hers on March 9th, so usually we would share a birthday party. It was less work for the parents and more fun for us. For my 11th birthday, I, as always, expected a shared birthday party. As you might have guessed, we didn't have one. In fact, I didn't see Julia for the entire time between March 5th and March 23rd. When I asked my mother about it, she passed it off. After March 23rd, she showed up again. We talked again, and when I asked her about her disappearance, she got mad at me. I apologized, thinking that maybe she had to visit a family member, as I remembered how she always hated visiting family. I never knew why, but I always assumed it was because of how smothering aunts and grandmothers can be. Julia and I didn't talk for a while after that, and we began to drift apart. We only spoke occasionally. My mother told me that that's just what happens sometimes in relationships, but I remember her being happier that I was no longer closer with Julia. I also remember being suspicious. Yes, she was drifting away from me, 
but she was drifting away from everyone else too. Not getting new friends, just sitting by herself, ignoring everyone. Her silence never stopped news from spreading. About a month later, we all learned that her parents had divorced. I approached her on the day I heard about it, and I told her I was sorry. Julia said, My mother is moving away. I'm, I'm leaving with her. I was shocked, but in the end, I wasn't as devastated as I thought I was going to be. We'd grown too far apart for me to be extremely upset. I never learned where she moved to, but a week or two after she left, I saw her father again. He was on the news. I recently asked my mother about the event, as she remembers it better. She explained to me how, at Julia's sleepover with the other girls, the girl who had gone home had left, because when she went to the bathroom, Julia's father followed her. Apparently, he violated her. He even hit her once. My mother told me she confronted Julia's mother about it. Her mother was in denial and just said it didn't happen, that her husband was a good man. My mother also told me that during Julia's disappearance, her father was being investigated and that they kept Julia indoors for the entire time as they suspected people were watching her father. I'm not sure if that's how things work with people like that, but I would have burst into that house and arrested him on sight. My mother said that after Julia's mother finally accepted that her husband was a child toucher, she divorced him. I learned that he was doing stuff to Julia too, explaining her skittish behavior. My mom told me that after Julia and her mother had moved away, her father was on the news because he was arrested, because he'd been caught with another child. I never really thought about that situation when I was young. I only really thought about it recently, how suspicious it all was. I really hope that wherever Julia is now, she is safe and happy. No doubt, she would have been scarred by those memories. I hope that they don't affect her for the rest of her life, and I hope her father rots in jail. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 5. Late Night Walk Through the Alley 
by K. My friends and I usually have crazy sleepovers. We're constantly trying to one-up every sleepover. From nearly passing away of cardiac arrest because we wanted to make a sword out of soda cans to nearly burning down a tree during New Year's. But then there's this experience. I decided to host a sleepover with whoever would be able to stay. By around four that day, all of my friends began to arrive. The first was McKay's, then Lene, then Rye, and then Lil's. For the first few hours, we had dinner, walked to Bosa, a donut shop here in Arizona, then went back to my place and just hung out, contemplating what we could do to beat all of the other sleepovers. By 10 o'clock, McKay's was out and Lil's was half asleep. We were next to a cement wall that blocked my backyard from the alleyway. We were just talking when I had the bright idea to take a walk through the dark alleyway to my neighborhood. Rye and Lene agreed. We would wait for my mom to go to bed so that she didn't have a fit. Then we would hop over my backyard wall. About four hours later, we were confident enough to go out. Lil's was the lookout, just in case my parents woke up. If they did and they caught us, I'd be grounded for ages. We were equipped with pocket knives and flashlights. Since there were three of us and we were all females, we would rather be safe than sorry. I was in front of Lene, who was holding her phone close, and behind Lene was Rye, who would be watching our backsides. We finally hopped over the wall and decided to take the long way around. We had our lights on, knives and phone in hand. We walked through the alleyway with one of our best friends on speakerphone. As we got closer to the end of the alleyway, we suddenly saw a man. He seemed to be middle-aged, and he was carrying a bag over to one of the garbage cans. In a panic, I whispered, Turn the flashlights off and be quiet. We were only a few yards away from the trash can. The man oddly looked around before putting the bag into the garbage can. When he walked away, we ran the other way back into the alley. Suddenly, Rye shushed us. There was another man at the other side of the alley. We quickly ran and hid behind some massive garbage bins, and we watched as the strange man approached the garbage can where the previous guy put his garbage. He reached inside, looked around suspiciously as well, then grabbed the garbage bag the man had put in there and began to walk back towards us, probably to exit the alleyway. But when I sneezed, he looked right at us. He dropped the bag, then pulled a knife out, and he sneered at us. Immediately, we ran as fast as we could back over the wall and jumped it. We ran inside, trying not to scream or panic. Back inside, we stayed up until 2 a.m., wondering what we just saw and why that man took the other guy's garbage and why they both acted suspicious about it. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen, and I never went back down that alley. Six, Midnight Laughter by Anonymous. I live in northern Wisconsin, where most of my family calls home, except for my father's side. They live in the middle of Minnesota, almost a three-hour drive away from us. First and foremost, 
My family, especially my father's side, is very religious, and I've never been the favored child, always clumsy and outcast. I have two cousins around my age, R and S. R is nine months older than me, and S is two years older. We've always been very close. When we were little, we would take our grandma's hat pins, go around in a circle, pick one of the pins, then spill a secret to each other. Recently, though, we've been growing apart. It doesn't help that we live so far away from each other, or that I'm having trouble with anxiety. But back then, we were all attached at the hip. The story begins at my grandparents' place. R and I were begging to have a sleepover, but they refused as she had church the next day. But with constant nagging, and the thought of me not being able to spend time with her, guilted our parents into letting me spend time with R. Soon I was able to spend the night. S was also invited. I was excited, because I haven't seen them in a very long time, and I'd miss them. R's house was a big one. There were four floors, including the basement. We stayed up for a while, talking and giggling. Then we soon fell asleep. I woke up from a nightmare about bugs crawling all over me. Silly enough, it was ladybugs and ants. I woke up seeing them covering the bed in their squirming six-legged bodies. I panicked, but didn't want to wake my cousins up. When my eyes adjusted, I saw that nothing was there. I was too tired to question anything, so I went back to sleep. Suddenly, after only a few seconds, I rose back up. I realized S and R were both awake. They were having trouble sleeping. I looked out the open bedroom door, and I swear I saw a faint glowing blue light coming from on top of the stairs. I told myself it wasn't that late, so R's parents were still up watching TV. Still, after a few hours, we could not go to sleep. At around midnight, long after we heard R's parents go to bed, we heard something disturbing. Maniacal laughter coming and echoing from upstairs. S's eyes met mine. We sat there in silence for a few moments. D did you hear that? I whispered. S nodded slowly with her eyes wide open. It could have just been R's parents watching a movie, I proposed. Should we go check? S replied. I nodded. R was finally dozing off, but the two of us tried to get R out of bed. I still wasn't ready for the walk through the dark upstairs, but I knew I had to. I had to prove to myself it was her parents, otherwise I'd be too creeped out. We made our way upstairs. I felt a pang of horror when we saw that the dark living room was empty. There was nobody there. We ran upstairs to wake R's parents, asking them if they were up, and what we learned scared me even more than I could possibly think. When we saw their room, R's parents were fast asleep, and they didn't have a TV in that room. We were so terrified that we begged R's father to look around the house, and that's what he did. But everything was locked, just as he'd left it, with no signs of intruders. That's impossible, because we had heard it. We were told to go back to bed, and we did so. I wish I could say the laughter was just part of a nightmare, but S heard it too, so there's no telling what it really was.
7. The Man at the Store by Bald of Your Heart What we did that night was pretty stupid, but at the time we didn't know how bad the situation could get. Me and another one of my friends, Jordan, went to stay at a friend's house for the weekend. Let's call this friend Carrie. The three of us were best friends. Now, Carrie didn't live in the best part of town. Let me just put that out there. We did the usual stuff girls do at sleepovers, watched some YouTube videos, talked. Carrie's mom made us some food, and we put on some makeup and took pictures of each other for fun. We were having a great time, until Carrie asked if we wanted to go to this little service station down the road from our house. Me and Jordan obliged. We grabbed our coats and shoes and headed out the front door. It was probably 2 a.m. when we left. Not the best time for three young girls to be out walking to the store. Once we reached the store, we walked inside and Carrie got us some things she thought we'd like. After Carrie paid, we walked outside. Jordan had opened one of her drinks and started sipping at it. She said it was good, so we all stood there for a couple of minutes sipping and talking. That's when a man walked up to us. He looked like he could be in his early 50s. Hey, what's a couple of pretty girls like y'all doing out here so late? The man asked us. Me and Carrie just kind of stared at him. It was Jordan who spoke first. Oh, we're just getting some snacks. The man took a long pause before speaking again. Well, hey, how about you guys come with me? and I can get you some more snacks. Me and Carrie still stayed quiet as he spoke. Jordan, of course, kept the conversation going. Well, if you're offering to go inside and buy it for us, she said, still sipping on her drink. The man shook his head. No, 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 you're coming with me first. Then I promise I'll buy you whatever you want. Then he began to lick the air in a disgusting way. The moment we saw that, we grabbed Jordan's arm and we bolted it back to her place, never looking back. 8. My Hellish Sleepover by Apots27 When I was around 13, my parents, my aunt, and my friend's parents all wanted to go camping. As a teen, I wasn't a fan of camping, or being cold and outside for too long. It was boring to me, and moist. So they allowed me and my cousin Martina, who was 15 at the time, to stay behind at her house alone together as a sleepover. We also had some friends over, Whitney, Mary, and Monique. We did the typical sleepover stuff, like eating junk food and watching movies and gossiping about boys. At some point, we decided it would be a fun idea to have a seance. We got set up in my cousin's bedroom at the front of the house and began. Martina, Mary, and Whitney proceeded to try to scare Monique and I, but we weren't having it and instead laughed at them. After a while, our scary game had been forgotten and we went back to gossiping and joking around. I fell asleep early that night and was awakened by the sound of a door being flung open in the room I was asleep in, and the other four girls were screaming like mad. I jumped out of bed, and the girls proceeded to say that Whitney was acting strange, making sounds, and she even grabbed a knife. 
We all stood up, scrambling to the front door, which was in Martina's bedroom. Then we rushed out the door into the light of the sunrise. Thank God we lived in a rural town in Saskatchewan, and no one was around to witness our hysteria. We ran down the street with our crazy friend not far behind. We rushed down the street and around the corner, ducking behind the post office, where we laid flat on the floor, scared and trying to catch our breaths. We heard Whitney calling out to us in a voice that didn't seem like her voice. We laid there for I'm not sure how long until we finally got the courage to get up. We peeked out and we didn't see her, but we were unsure of what to do. We looked around before we finally heard her coming around the post office. We ran down the road as quickly as we could. We ended up trying to hide in some woods. I remember the pain from the rocks and sticks cutting my feet as we went in. As we hid on the bottom of the forest floor, I could hear her voice coming from seemingly everywhere. She was asking us to come out and play, and she was sadistically laughing, taunting us. We must have stayed there for hours. Finally, we mustered the courage to go back to my cousin's place. When we got back to the house, Whitney was sleeping soundly in her pajamas. Her feet were perfectly clean, too, while all the rest of us, who were also barefoot, had black soles. I'm not sure what happened that night, and to this day, Martina swears it wasn't a prank. I've never messed with the paranormal again after that. 9. Scariest Moment by Sisney I was 12 years old, and I remember the event vividly. I was going to go out with my friends to a movie and some laser tag, but something came up and we weren't able to. Instead, we decided to sleep over at Elizabeth's house. At the time, we hated one specific girl, but we all got along fine. Her name was Riley. Once we all got done packing for the sleepover, we went to her house, and once we got there, Elizabeth's dad was drinking, and so was her stepmom. They both had drank about three bottles of some kind of beer by the time we arrived. Her dad was odd that night. He was flirting with me, even though I was 12. And this is where it gets creepy. Riley and I were catching up, when all of a sudden he bursts into the room and starts touching us and groping at us. Riley ran and grabbed my hand and called our moms, but he kept stumbling and coming towards us, saying that he could be our daddy. We knew what he was trying to say by that. We didn't think it was a good idea to stay in the house any longer, so we ran outside and hid in the trees, staying low and quiet, but he still found us. Riley and I began to climb up the tree, but Riley was having trouble as one of her feet were stuck. He pinned me against the tree and began to feel me. Riley jumped out of the tree and basically shoved him off of me. She grabbed me by the arm and pulled me away. We ran inside and hid ourselves in the basement, locking the door. We had called 911. Luckily, the police arrived just as he was about to bang down the door. If it wasn't for Riley or the police, we were cornered in that basement, and Lord knows what he would have done to us. And 10. The Sleepover 
spy raid. A few years ago, my grandma's house flooded. My cousin Tommy lived with her, so they needed to crash at our place for about a month, as their place was being repaired. Our house was in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. It wasn't very big, so they ended up bunking in the living room. I remember being excited and asking my mom if I could sleep over in the living room with them, and she didn't mind. The first night was the only night I slept in there, and the only night they stayed in the living room, before sleeping in a motel for the remainder of the month. That's because of what we saw. I woke up in the middle of the night to see Tommy leaning up in bed, completely silent and motionless, but his eyes were wide open, and he was staring at the door. The door was just a glass swinging door with a makeshift lock, so you could see outside from our positions. It was this door that he was staring at. I looked over and screamed. There was a face in the door peering at us. A furry, long-snouted face with teeth showing in a broad smile. I screamed so loud, Grandma jumped up in time to see the face as well. After a few seconds, the face pulled away and disappeared, leaving us all freaked out more than we'd ever been before. It's the weekend, and many of you may be listening to this at a sleepover yourselves. Don't forget, though, that even when you're surrounded by the people you love most, your best friends, all huddled together in a cozy living room, there could be danger lurking around the corner, maybe even watching you all right now. It might be a creature outside, or it could be the family of the person you're sleeping over with. You can't trust everyone. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget, you can send me your scary stories at darknessprevails.org submit. If you want to support this channel further, you can download my free app Spooked on the Google Play Store, or donate one buck a month on my Patreon at patreon.com darknessprevails, and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of this video. If you want some Darkness Prevails merchandise, you should be able to click shop or one of the shirts below this video. If not, you can go to morbidmonsters.com. Now then, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about 10 scary 4th of July stories. Don't Judge Reed says, Early, I'm Canadian, so we're all about July 1st. Hey, close enough. Just pretend every four you hear in that video is a one, then you'll be just fine. Forest Fairy 1 says, You know what's truly scary? The city banned fireworks this year and its limits. Luckily, I'm just outside the city. The Prism Star says, This is the third day in a row that I'm wearing This World is a Strange One t-shirt. Maybe it's time to wash it. Nah. Don't worry, if you wash it, it's still stained with my permanent stank. You'll love that. Also, someone commented why I don't say This World is a Strange One anymore. I should probably bring that back. I didn't do it on purpose. I honestly just completely forgot about it. Cypher Bertain says, Suggestion, 10 creepy library stories. Ah, the submissions I get, I can see it now. They charge 15 cents a page to print things at the library. True story, by the way. Because when you're paying for school and you use their library, you also have to pay for that for some reason. And Cheyenne Mamodi says, Darkness, your videos always upload at midnight in my country. 
Good. Midnight is guaranteed to be the best time to watch my videos. Enjoy. Thank you all for watching another Darkness Prevails video. Another scary story video is coming very soon, so stay tuned. Here are my patrons who continue to donate. They're just awesome people. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy.